0: Good morning, church family. Man, what a great day. We're so excited. I got up this morning, got out to my truck. Birds were singing. It reminded me of that passage in Jesus' final week uh, in which he tells the Pharisees that, that after, it's actually on Palm Sunday after he comes in and they're upset that the children and all the people are praising him. And he says, if they were to be silent, the rocks would cry out. And we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be uh thankful for and praise him for. So the birds were singing this morning, and then I got up here, and I saw I was walking through the parking lot, and there was this little robin, and it was singing, and then I heard the pterodactyl over at the hospital singing, and uh, I mean, it was just like one of those things. I don't know what that thing is, I know it keeps birds away, but uh man, it's glad to know that... uh you know, paleolithic dinosaurs are still singing his praise. So, but, uh, anyway, we're glad you're here today is going to be an amazing morning. We already know that uh, Paisley Thompson, uh, she's going to get baptized this morning. Paisley, give us a little wave right there. <laughs> Super excited about that. Uh, of course her family's here. So glad to have them. And, uh, uh, what a blessing it is for y'all to share in that with us this morning. And uh, we are just so happy for you. So, Paisley, excited for you too. See your joy and your love for Christ. And I know he's going to use you in mighty ways. So, um, this morning though, we're jumping back into our intersection series. We're in week four as we talk about what it looks like for faith to interact with our world. And for us to meet the world at the intersection and show them. And so we're hitting some some topics, some things like our bodies and and sex and and what it looks like for us to bring our fears to him. And that's where we're going to be today. But as we get started, here's what I want to do. I just want us to hear a word from Jesus and a story from Jesus. So if y'all would stand with me, I'm going to read this and y'all just listen. And then we're going to begin with prayer. But let's stand and let's hear the word of the Lord. As we are called this morning to demonstrate, even in a fearful world, a faithful presence, An alternative community that shows the world a better way. Luke 5, 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news of him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The actions, the example, and the word of our Lord. Let's grab a hand. We're going to pray. Let's discuss the intersection of fear and faith this morning and how to live fearless. Let's pray. God, surprise us this morning. Surprise us, by the way of Jesus. Surprise us. Or maybe just remind us. But take us somewhere today. Closer to you. Humble us. Let us be grateful that what we have, we did not earn. And we celebrate, God, not, in, not without piety, but we celebrate with humility and honor your sacrifice. For what was done for us, Father, could not be accomplished anywhere else. And God, we've got a message to share. May we share it. May we live it. May we show it and display it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Grab a bulletin, grab a, your app, whatever you'd like to do. Let's take some notes today. We're going to be talking about some practices of becoming fearless. And I want to introduce you to this lady that's on the screen. This is an old photo of her, very old, from the 1800s. But you need to know this lady. Her name is Elizabeth Bomfrey. But you probably know her if you know anything about abolition history. She is the Christian abolitionist and women's rights activist, sojourner, truth. Has there ever been a better name? Sojourner truth. Sojourner was born to parents of slavery in New York state in 1797. And I think it would be fair to even, and I don't even know if it expresses it enough, but to sum her life up as one of pain, a painful life. As was often practiced, she was separated from her family at nine years old. She was sold to another slaveholder in New York for a few sheep and about $100 as well as other slaves that were in the cell that day. Through that time as a young kid and a teen, she endured daily beatings with sticks and bundles of rods. She was sold in 1810 again and then again. As a teen and into her early adulthood, she endured not only hard work and beatings, she endured constant sexual assault and more. Her life, if you've read about it, is awful. She did all this, though, while meeting her husband and giving birth to 13 children and also having an incredible deep love for scripture and for God and for Jesus Christ, especially living the way of Jesus Christ. It was in 1826 in the night she grabbed her youngest born daughter, her 13th child, and made an escape. She escaped her slaveholder and found freedom. Then it was in 1843 as she was growing in her understanding of scripture. It was on Pentecost Sunday She felt like the Lord was calling her to begin to call other slaves out of freedom. And she changed her name on Pentecost Sunday from Elizabeth Bomfrey to Sojourner Truth. On that day, she also took all her measly belongings, whatever little she had, and she sold them. She sold them so she would have enough money to start traveling the country, talking about the abolition of slavery And to preach the word of freedom that she found from Scripture. She had an incredible life, not only of pain, but also of accomplishment. Sojourner Truth was the first ever woman of color in the US to win a court case against a white man, first one ever. And as her influence grew, so did her effectiveness and boldness. As the Civil War was wrapping up, she began to make sure and fight for equality from the free land grants that the government was giving to white families. She made sure they were also given to black families. She was invited to sit down and talk about her influence with Abraham Lincoln in early 1865 before his assassination. And even she is credited with one of the first abolitionists to begin the practice of desegregation by traveling over the con- all over the country and riding on trolley cars that were only reserved for white people. She was Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks was Rosa Parks. How cool is that? Now, this woman lived in a world of fear, fear because of her skin color. And she could have lived in fear because of the systems she lived in. But she has this famous saying, This is Sojourner Truth, probably most famous quote. She says, life is a hard battle anyway. If we laugh and sing a little as we fight the good fight of freedom, it makes it all go easier. And then she says, I will not allow my life's light to be determined by the darkness around me. Woo, don't you love that? I will not allow my life's light to be determined by the darkness around me. This woman, Sojourner Truth, had a face that met the world at the intersection. Her world was dark and fearful, but she did not let her world dictate the direction of her life and choices. And I'm thankful this morning that we do not live in the same world. I'm thankful that that is not the world we live in. But the truth is, is we still live in a culture of fear and outrage. Amen? We do. We are constantly bombarded by news that is about making us fear, comparison between people that is about making us feel like we don't have enough. We don't go long without war and anxieties and unrest. We live in a culture of fear. Every two years... Little Chapman University, one of the things they specialize is in studying fear among American people. So every two years, they release a study called America's Top Fears. Sounds like a show, right? America's Top Fears, right? It surveys thousands of American citizens to discover what we fear the most. I'm going to give you the top five, maybe start to guess in your head what they are. Here is what they are. You may match these, you may not, but America's top five fears, according to Chapman University in descending order is number five, widespread civil unrest. Number four, people I become chronically ill. Number three, loved ones contracting COVID. This of course was not even ever been on the list. Number two, before 2020, number two, People I love dying, and then number one, which surprised me, the most fearful thing to Americans, 79% of people in America agree they are scared of corrupt government officials, which wouldn't have been in my top 100, but that's fine. I'd be like, snakes first, right? But I don't know where you, if, if any of these get on your top five, but I only mention those because those aren't our only fears, Right? There's probably a lot more fears that Americans will not admit to. Some of these have to do with them, but we fear lack of freedom. We fear change. We fear transitions in our homes, maybe from kids growing and moving on, or transitions because of an uncertain future. We fear simply tomorrow. We fear that our hopes and our plans and our dreams will not be realized or ever come to fruition. We fear and worry about money, our lack of influence, our power, sickness, of course, what we control, and a lot of us, including myself, even fear what we cannot control. But I want to begin today, as we go to the intersection of fear and faith, I want us to know this. Fear is a disease. And its symptoms... If it was on TV, you'd have the little lawyer in the background saying this. If you are struggling with fear, your symptoms include worry, anxiety, shortness of breath, stereotyping, hatred, scapegoating, <laughs> outrage, anger, closed mind, and more, right? <laughs> fear is a disease that infects us, but I want to make this case this morning, and it's already on the screen. If fear is a disease, then the virus or bacteria that gets in and infects our bodies with fear is an unlikely source. It may not just be that, yes, we live in a fearful world. The unlikely source or the virus that causes fear is actually noise. It's noise. It's what we listen to. It's what we allow to dictate our minds. It's what goes into our ears and into our souls. And it's these competing truths and things we try to hang on that cause the disease of fear. There's this great spiritual book about the Christian life and spending time with God by Robert Sarah. It's called The Power of Silence. Great read if you're looking for a book, The Power of Silence. And he says in the book this, this is a great quote. He says, the modern world can no longer do without the dictatorship of noise. Our world, he continues, no longer hears or listens to God because our world is constantly speaking at a devastating speed and volume so that in order we say nothing. Consider this, just how noisy our lives have gotten. And some of you are doing this right now as I speak, right? You're listening to this noise, and I'm just going to pick on smartphones for a second, but consider this much noise. It's not the only source of noise. Some of you listen to talk radio all day long. That's a source of noise, right? I wish we had sports talk radio in this area. That's the only talk radio I miss. The sports animal out of Oklahoma City, still miss it. Anyway, right? But there are sources of noise in our life. So we're just going to pick on one, but the average smartphone user per day gets 46 notifications to catch their attention. Just 46. But we spend on average, the Americans spend on average three and a half hours per day on their smart device. Three and a half hours a day. Teens, check your thing. You're probably over that. Parents, you're like, no way. Check your usage, right? I bet you are. Or if you have your notifications, one of your 46 per day set, it gives you one one a week. I am shocked by what's on there some weeks. Confession time, right? I am pretty average as an American with that. We also tap our phones an average of 2,516 times a week. Nope, a day. A day. Our world is full of noise. And just to pick on that even more, it is well-documented. Well-documented. Parents, hear me. It is well-documented. Scientifically studied now, social media has been around long enough since 2007 that the use of social media has made not just the younger generation, but generations of people more unhappy, more hateful, more divided, and much more fearful. It is a fact. That is why Henry and although he wrote it in the 70s, in his famous leadership book, the best leadership book I've ever read, The Way of the Heart. He said in The Way of the Heart, noise is the greatest threat to the spiritual life. Because he knew noise was the source of our fear. We live in a world that where behind every rant online, every outrage you see on TV, every talking head, every outburst of rage, every hateful word of gossip that you share behind closed doors or in hallways or on the phone or through text, though the source of that is not anger. Anger is our secondary emotion that is led by fear. Fear fear, and the incessant need we have for an ever-diminishing dopamine dump provided by things in our pockets. Thumbs up, heart emojis, notifications, three-second interactions, and more. Now, enough of picking on the way we live. All that, I believe, can be redeemed. But it still brings up that there is a problem. Christians are not called to live in fear. James Baldwin, who was partner with Martin Luther King, said this. He said, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once their hate is gone, they will actually have to be forced to deal with pain. Fear. Fear pain noise what do we do as followers of Jesus living in a world of constant barrage of things in the world telling you not as scripture says do not be afraid but the constant barrage of the world telling you be afraid how can we witness to the way of Jesus and live lives of meaning where we can be fearless I believe we find some help of course in scripture 1 John four sixteen through 18 Brad just finished up studying this with us on Wednesday nights verse 16 says this and so we know and rely on the love God has for us and then he defines it God is love whoever lives in love lives in God and God is in them This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Hold on to that. And then he goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out, drives out, pushes out. However you want to say that, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I want you to hear it again out of the message version where Eugene Peterson writes, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. Whew, I like that. Becomes, love becomes at home and mature in us so that we're worry-free on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identi- identical with Christ. There is no room In love for fear, well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is not yet one fully formed in love. Perfect love drives out fear. So I want to know how to perfectly love and be formed by love. But if perfect love drives out fear, then I guess the opposite is true as well, right? Fearfulness drives out love. Amen? You ever thought about it in reverse? If I am full of love, then fear is gone. But if I'm full of fear, right, my love is pushed out. You know the most repeated command in the Bible is what? 364 to 66 times, right at 365, one for every day. Most repeated command in the Bible, do not fear. But go up to tell somebody who's got a fearful or worried mindset or somebody who's very preoccupied with something and you go up to them and just go, hey, dude, just do not fear. It's not very good advice, right? Right? Man, I'm really struggling with addiction. Well, just stop it. Okay, you know, it doesn't work that way. I remember as a kid, as a kid, I remember being such a person, a young man who was so overactive in my imagination. I could make anything at night the scariest thing. I had a time, I don't know how long it was, mom and dad, several years where I just lived in fear of, of being alone and asleep. It's pre-adolescence somewhere in there. But I remember one night I was scared and I and I yelled out for my parents. This irrational thought was in my head that someone was simply waiting for me to fall asleep because they had something against me and then they were going to get me, right? Anybody been there, right? Irrational. It made no sense. Why would somebody be after a fifth grader? Nobody knows, right? I mean, i would probably done something to upset people, but I didn't think my teachers were out to kill me, right? But I had this irrational fear. To ease my da- mind, my dad came in, and dad, you're here this morning, so I apologize for this. I'm going to throw you under the bus for a second. But what he did is he gave me some advice, and it was like, do not fear. But his advice was this, just get over it. When I was a kid, I used to think Frankenstein was always outside my window all the time. I was this shadow, he told me, and it looked like Frankenstein, and I was always scared of that. And it wasn't really Frankenstein, so just get over it and go to sleep, because Frankenstein's not real, and neither are the things in your head. Well, then I tried to go to sleep, and not only was somebody trying to get me, but Frankenstein was also outside (laughs) my window, right? So what do we do then with fear? My point is this. In a world of fear, it's not enough for us to stand at the crossroads, at the intersection, and just yell, do not fear, especially when we struggle with fear itself. To just quote it is great, but to live it is a completely different thing. To actually practice pushing out fear is where Christians need to stand. We need to constantly be understanding what noise we're listening to so that we can actually become people who live fearless. So what's the advice? What does the scripture teach us? Well, here in John, we just heard, be like Jesus, right? In this world, we are like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? The end of the first passage we read. Crowds were gathered around him. His fame was spreading and he was healing diseases and people were coming from all over, right? It was getting noisy. And then that's chapter, that's chapter five, verse 15. And then chapter five, verse 16, Luke throws on this tagline. As noise was gathering in the life of Jesus, as there was so much in his life pushing him around, scripture goes, oh, but let me tell you, When things got noisy, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And it may seem strange, but the cure to the virus of noise and the symptoms of fear that we are all feeling is actually practicing silence. Time with God in silence is the Christian's chance to push noise away. Noise and the resulting fear from noise are simply outcomes from us trying to gain control. And silence is the practice of surrender. We love noise. We love what's, in, what's on our smartphones. We love filling every moment with something radio, TV, whatever input, because in that we feel like we have control. But in silence, we actually learn to relinquish control to the one who has control. Jesus, I think we would all say, is fearless, right? Wouldn't y'all agree? Jesus lived a fearless life. He, but how did he do it? He again and again practiced prayer, of silence in choosing his disciples. Luke chapter 6, he spends the night in prayer. In exhaustion after feeding the 5,000, he sends his disciples across. Why? Just so he can tra- show them the trick and the next story to walk on water? No, he sends them across so that he can get away by himself to spend time with the Father. Matthew 14. After a long day of healing in Mark 6, he's exhausted. And the disciples are like, there's more people, there's more noise, there's more things for you to attend to. And Jesus goes, let's go somewhere else. Let's get away. Let's retreat. Let's spend time with the Father. And then I think most telling of all is on the most fearful night of his life, what much of the world will celebrate this Friday. He goes to a garden, a garden named Gethsemane a place that just means the wine press or the olive press. And in just before his death, we know that he is being bombarded by fear. He is in such stress that he is sweating blood drops. Matthew, or Luke 22. But it's there that three times He goes to his disciples and says, stay here, I'm going to go pray. Stay here, I'm going to go spend time with the Father. And it's there in the prayer that he practices pushing out love or pushing out fear by saying, not my will, but yours be done. It may seem strange that the solution to fear for a Christian may be silence, But let us take Jesus as the example. The greatest decision church family ever made on earth was made in that garden. Have you ever noticed the difference between Jesus before the prayer and after? Before the prayer, the scriptures continue to describe him as very worried. It even says he was at the point of death. He was so overwhelmed with with what was going on and the choice he had to make. But after he makes the choice, not my will, but yours be done, he gets up and he meets his accusers. He meets them head on and he's like, let's go. Because out of silence and solitude and quiet and relinquishing control, he finds the strength to be the person. Of course, he was called and was. To be. The greatest decision for the good of the world was made as a result of prayer and silence and solitude. I think that's pretty relevant to our world, isn't it? If you're struggling this morning with decisions, if you're struggling with wisdom, if you're struggling with direction in your life, if you're struggling with fear, maybe you don't need more input. You just need one put i just made up that word god put You need some input from the lord and, and i want to wrap this teaching up and this isn't a sermon of inspiration this is a sermon urging participation teaching today my teaching today will not drive out your fear some of you are going to get home you're going to turn on your favorite news channel and they're going to tell you to be afraid none of them are different than the others they're going to tell you to be afraid Because fear sells. So I'm urging you towards participation. Teaching, though, doesn't drive out fear. But hopefully this reminder today can be a catalyst towards a change in practice and transformation. So I want to give you just three really quick things on how to practice the presence of silence and the presence of God in your life so that we can present a beautiful and peaceful and content alternative worldview and way of life to a world that lives out there and is afraid. Solitude and silence, quiet with God, whatever you want to call it. I want to give you these three things, but I want to first admit to you that this is the most difficult discipline in my life. Some of you are good at it. Some of you are good at silence. In fact, you don't want people around you. You're like, I don't want any input. You're probably naturally good at it. And I love you people that are good at that. I am awful. I don't like to go to the grocery store by myself. I'm like, come on, kids. I need somebody to talk to you along the way. But I'm telling you, this practice, when we practice it, is the solution for us from our fears and learning to be fear. How do we practice it? Three R's. Silence and solitude, quiet with God is first of all, rest. Ronald Rollheiser in his book, The Holy Longing, defines prayer in three words. He says, prayer is simply relaxing into God. I love that. When I read that, I was like, ooh, that's like getting in your lazy boy. And as I pray, I'm relaxing into the presence of God. Because in prayer, where am I at? I'm in a place of honesty, but I'm also in a place of safety. It is a place where when we pray, I am, instead of controlling the world with tight fists, controlling the world with grit and determination and all those things, and I'm going to make my way the only way. Prayer is relaxing to God because we surrender and submit, resting in God. Prayer is also the place where you are trying to never accomplish anything, you're giving it over you're breathing deep, you're reading scripture, you're speaking to God, maybe you're just sitting with God in gratitude, but solitude is first, time with God is first, just rest. Second one is, what we do in silence is we realize, I love Psalm 139. Psalm 139 declares, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, right? If I go up to the heights, you are there. If I make my bed on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, right? He even goes on to say that if I I even wrap myself in darkness, the darkness will not hide you for darkness is as light to you. What he's saying is this truth that we realize when we are in prayer and in silence with God, we get to realize that there is nothing in all creation that can hide us from God. Often we fear places because we think God isn't in them. Well, we got news for you. There is not a place that God cannot go. God was with you. You may have not realized it, but God was there with you when you committed your worst sin. You just had to turn around and look at him. You may have turned your back. You just had to turn back around, right? God is there. That is an incredible truth, a truth that I do not realize enough but when we realize that it will change your life and then finally when you spend quiet with the Lord pushing noise out so that love can fill you up when we are in quiet with the Father we respond because in prayer and solitude love is given fear is defeated decisions are made and action is then taken again picture that scene Jesus on his knees getting up after saying, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. He's no longer stuck between his desire to not face the pain and the mission that God had given him. He has chosen in that moment the mission. He chooses the cross on our behalf. And guys, in that moment, the rule of Satan, it was the fourth quarter, right? The fat lady sang in that garden. It was over. When he got up and chose that, The snake's head was crushed. So will you be a person this morning of learning to do this? So we're going to practice as we close. So I want to ask you just to get in a comfortable place, put your feet on the ground if you can, or just get where is a comfortable listening position. And we're just going to read a scripture slowly today after taking just a few moments of quiet. And we're going to finish up It won't be on the screen, but I want to encourage you just to close your eyes and hear the words of Jesus from John 16 on the night that he told them, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to send an advocate for you. And they're going, we don't want you to leave. They were fearful. They were scared. They kept saying, we want to be where you are. And he's like, you can't. Things are about to change. They had no idea what was about to happen. But he closed this speech out. The final line of his longest speech in the Gospel of John, with this line from John 16 33. So before I read it, I want to just invite you to just some quiet. And I know in a room this size, that's going to be difficult. Let's just take a deep breath. Let's prepare our minds and let's prepare our hearts to hear the words of our Savior. Let's be quiet. Jesus says to us, as he did to his disciples so long ago I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen, church? May we be a church family who shows the world that while the world says, listen to this and look how scared you should be, may we show a world that there is an alternative way of living that lives under the banner of the only one who has overcome everything already we sang it as we sang this morning yours is the victory right hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah sin has lost its grip on me you've broken every chain there's salvation in your name Jesus Christ my living hope I think the lyrics could also say our only hope. If you need anything this morning, we are here for you. Paisley, we're so excited for you. We're going to get to witness that. If somebody wants to join join Paisley in the water, we probably can't baptize you at the same time, but we can baptize you one after the other, right? I don't know. She's pretty skinny though. We can probably get two people in there at the same time, right? But we're going to, let's celebrate today and let's be people that realize we can live fearless. And if you're living a fearful life, Let the church family pray over you. Enter into that community. Enter into the presence of God. Start to practice that this week. If it's 10 minutes a day, it's 10 minutes. But grow in that practice and start to find that the more you spend time with the one who's overcome the world, the less fears will overcome you. Let's stand together and let's sing.